everyone! Before we start, I wanted to let you know, if you would like to watch our whole service, head to our website, that's dc2.me, and from the media drop-down, click Sermons. You can watch our whole service there. And now, here's this week's sermon. All right. Good morning! Uh, you probably saw it in the slides. I just wanted to make sure one more time to highlight this. Um, I found out right before we were starting service today, we are looking for volunteers uh, to help in the children's ministry this summer. Uh, just asking folks, if you could sign up for like two to three weekends, that would be so, so helpful. Right now, as of last week, last couple weeks of we, as we've started this push, we've got about 36% of those slots covered. Um, which is a great start, but it also leaves a lot. And so uh, know that it, it is a pinch. Today in sec- for second service, one of our classrooms, we're going to have to close down just because we don't have enough volunteers. And if you call this church home, I would just say this. I, I think this has always been a church. And one thing I love about this church is that this is a place where somebody who's new to the faith or just new to church can come check out this place. And it's a bummer when you get told, actually, you need to keep your kids with you for the upstairs service if you've got a kid that you're like, they could really benefit from being down here. So if that's something that you could help and serve with us, I promise they don't bite. Not all of them bite. Um, it, it's wonderful. Uh, it's a gift that we'll give back to you. So, so um, as we dive into our sermon this morning, I was, I've been just kicking around so many ideas of like, how do we start this one out? And finally this morning, thank goodness, I was reminded of this story. Some, some of you may know this, but I was a firefighter for a little while right out of college. And when I was in the fire academy, we would do these workout days every Saturday, 6 a.m. at Red Rocks. And I don't know if you've ever had a Red Rocks workout, but they're terrible. I mean, it's just, I mean, unless you like working out and then they're awesome, but we would show up and we'd have these different instructors that are there. And most of them are like big firefighter guys who do big firefighter stuff and love to work out their biceps. And so that's what we would do. And so, and, and every week it would be a different instructor. But if you've ever been to Red Rocks, we'd start at the stage and they'd be like, hey, run up the stairs and run back. And we're going to do that like 900,000 times. And then if you got somebody who was really mean, they'd be like, hey, there's these big planter boxes. They're about four, four and a half feet tall. You're not going to run the stairs. You're going to run the planter boxes. You're going to run up and like get up on top of one of these and do the next. And by the time you're like on top of your third one, you're like, I'm going to die. I'm just going to die today. Well, there was this one particular week where we roll in at six o'clock in the morning. We're wiping the sleep out of our eyes. There's about 20 of us in this academy. And we're waiting, and and it wasn't always instructors who were a part of our academy that were there to do this PT stuff. Sometimes it would just be firefighters that were friends of the academy. And so we're waiting, and we're waiting, and there's nobody there. Like, there's other people that are there working out, but there's nobody there to lead our class. And about 6.05 hits, and some of the guys are like, maybe there's nothing today. We can just do it ourselves. Let's go home. When all of a sudden this woman who'd been sitting on the bench, just patiently waiting and just kind of smiling, you could tell she was getting ready for a workout, stands up and she walks into the midst of us and she says, hello, fellas, my name is Stacy. I'm going to be your instructor today. Now, Stacy's probably five foot two, 125 pounds, sopping wet. And we're used to like guys named Kevin who weigh like 280, solid tiger meat stretched over a a (laughs) aluminum cage of of (laughs) skeleton. And so we're looking at Stacy like, this is awesome. We're going to have such a great day. This is my judgment and my chauvinism just for all to see. It was terrible. 
And then the next thing out of her mouth put us even more on, 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 at ease. She goes, today we're just, we're just going to be doing Pilates today. And we're like, yes, like it's just Pilates. No problem, Stacy. She goes, okay, for our first one, just to get us warmed up, we're going to do some planks. Um, we're going to do a seven-minute plank. But here's how this is good, which all of us are like, seven minutes. Okay, okay, Stacy. But the way this is going to go is if, if you don't make it the full seven minutes, everybody else absorbs the remaining time. So if you drop out at five minutes, you still had two minutes to go. Now we're not going seven. Now the rest of us go nine. And if two more of you drop out with one minute to go, now we had those two minutes. Now we're going 11. And all of a sudden we're like, Stacy. <laughs> so everybody get in position or planking on your elbows. At Red Rocks, like grown men, I mean, strong public servants, I mean, are just crying, like, please make it stop. And four minutes in, my buddy Frosty goes down, and she just screams to the, and she's like, she just went from like, kind, nice, patient Stacy, to now like, drill sergeant in the Marines, like, she's just screaming her head off. He goes down, she goes, add more time. Two more guys about a minute later go down, add more time, and, and our time goes from seven minutes to nine, and then it jumps to 11. And by the time it's all said and done, there's, there's three guys left. I drop out right in the middle of the path. I, think, I mean, I think I barely made it to like eight minutes, which is, which is good, thank you. <laughs> thank you. But by the time it's all said and done, it's just Stacy left, and she has now absorbed all of our time, and the time now that she has to plank is 23 minutes. And Stacy, the whole time, is there glaring at all of us, saying, you need to plank more. And we're like, we thought it was going to be an easy day. It was just Pilates. Stacy's wiping the floor with us. It was incredible. But it, it was one of those moments where, for sure, a moment of judgmentalism or a moment of, like, this is going to be easy. Oh, man, it just caught all of us off guard. And we had Stacy a few more times. Every other time we showed up to Red Rocks and Stacy was sitting on the bench, all of us were like, I don't feel good. I gotta, I gotta go home. <laughs> but that, that's going to be an image that you're going to need to hang on to, especially as we get close to the end um, of, of our time today. We're continuing in our series in the book of Matthew, and we're just, we're right now really getting into the core of this Sermon on the Mount that Jesus gives. And, and what he's done so far, just a quick catch up, is he started to introduce, here's what my kingdom of heaven is like. Everybody's invited. It's not just for the Jewish people, which if you've been paying attention in your Old Testament, and if you knew what the first century Jewish culture was like, that was mind-blowing to them. Romans get invited to this party. People who are sick get invited. To, like, there, there, were, there were lines that were being crossed that Jesus was going, no, the kingdom of heaven, we're bringing it all back together. Everybody gets invited to this banquet. And people were starting to worry, maybe he's not okay. <laughs> maybe his theology is really poor. Is he throwing out the whole Old Testament? And he makes this statement. We left off with this last week where he goes, don't think that I've come to abolish the law and the prophets. Don't think that I've come to throw that out. I've come to fulfill it. Everything that was written there, I'm here to bring into its fullness. I think the best way for you to visualize this, it's like when a waiter comes by in your glass, you have water in your glass, but the waiter says, can I top that off for you? It's, it's like that. These Jews or humanity, we'd been given the Old Testament. We had the law. We had these prophets. We have the Bible that Jesus read, which was the Old Testament. But Jesus, as we enter the scene today, is saying, you have some. Can I top it off for you? 
can I fill it to the brim? Can I just make sure you have everything that you're going to need if you're really going to experience what this was like? And there's one other thing that you need to know about the context of what's going on here. Um, it won't be till Matthew 11 where he uses this words, and I really wish that Matthew would have included this at the front end of the Sermon on the Mount. But Jesus, I'll put this on the sides behind us, says this. Come to me, all you that are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Some of you today need to just hear that one sentence, and that's your sermon. But he goes on. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. For all rabbis use this language of a yoke. And I don't know if you've seen a yoke before. It's usually this thing that goes over the shoulder of an oxen or a donkey or a horse. But it's what pulls the plow in, in a farming community. And if you're a rabbi, you talk about your yoke as your teaching. The fullness of my teaching when it sits on your shoulders, a lot of rabbis would say it is challenging. It is not for the weak of heart. If you're going to follow me, if you're going to learn to do things my way, it is grueling, but it's good. Stick with me. And here we have this brand new young rabbi stepping in going, you want to know about my yoke? You want to know what it's like to follow my teaching? It's easy. And the burden is light. And hold on to that as, as now we jump into the text for today because it doesn't make sense. What we're about to read is not easy. What we're about to read, I would dare say, borders on nonsensical at first blush. And I think this is one of those things that there's, there's this idea out there called the lullaby effect. When you've heard something over and over again that you go, yeah, yeah, I got it. I, I think if this is a text and a teaching that you've heard before in your life, I would invite you, like, read it afresh today. Read it like you're reading it for the first time. Let it hit you with the force of hearing it for the first time. Because this is crazy, what Jesus is saying. Okay, we're not going to be able to go through all of them, but I did want to give you a snapshot of here's what Jesus is going to get into. So on the screen behind me, this is what he's going to say in this part of the sermon. First off, the Old Testament. I've not come to get rid of it. I've come to fulfill it. He ends that part by saying, your righteousness, the way you live, needs to be better than the scribes and the Pharisees which in that culture was basically like saying, you need to be better than the holiest people that you can point fingers at in your community. So right away, it's like, whoa, like, what are you talking about? And either he wants everybody to live at this pretty perfect level, or he's getting at a different point. So then he's going to talk about anger. How should we deal with anger? We're going to get into that one today. Then he's going to talk about lust and adultery. Really interesting topic choices that if, if he's choosing to pull things apart. And these things are all pointing back to actual Old Testament laws in the Ten Commandments. Do not murder, Ten Commandments. Do not commit adultery, Ten Commandments. He's going to talk about no divorce, no oaths. This is the lifestyle, this is the practice of the kingdom that Jesus is lining up for us. Do not practice revenge. There's no hate allowed. And love your enemies. And then he finishes love your enemies with this statement. And we're going to hit this when we get there. Be perfect like God is perfect. So again, if you're like, if, if you've heard this before, you're like, yeah, Jesus, cool, easy. Yoke is easy. Blah, blah, like, what? He says be perfect like God is perfect. That's in the Sermon on the Mount. Be better than the scribes and Pharisees. Better than, that's, this is crazy. What is he saying? And... We're, we're only going to be able to talk about three of the eight today, but one thing, just for, just for nerds in the room, I, I just love this. 
I intentionally structured it that way on the screen. Do you see how some of these things parallel? We, I mean, we've got like, don't, I hold the Old Testament high, love your enemies, be perfect, be more righteous. No, what does no anger and no hate have to do with each other? Lust and adultery and revenge, that is a fun conversation if you wanna know how those. And divorce and oaths, really interesting that there's this mirror effect going on. If, if you've been here for a while, you've heard us talk about this idea of chiasms and oftentimes it's what's in the middle. I think this is a reverse chiasm where Jesus is going, what's the most, if we're gonna talk about the commands, what's the most important command? And later, we're gonna find it in Matthew as we keep going through our series, love your enemies. That's the most important command. We're gonna get there. So today, we're only gonna talk about three. We're gonna talk about anger and murder. We're gonna talk about lust, and we're gonna talk about retaliation. And there's a cadence that comes with these. Jesus will say, here's what it says in the Old Testament. Here's how I interpret it, which that was a rabbi's job to interpret the Old Testament. And then the really cool thing that Jesus does here is he says, let me give you just a couple examples about how this is supposed to work. So we're going to start out with no anger and no murder. If you, have, if you brought your Bible, turn to Matthew chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 21, just, just three verses, 21 to 24. And he says this. You've heard that it was said to those of ancient times, you shall not murder, and whoever murders shall be liable to judgment. But I say to you, that if you're angry with a brother or sister, you'll be liable to judgment. And if you insult a brother or sister, you will be liable to the council. And if you say, you fool, you will be liable to the hell of fire. <clears throat> so when you're offering your gift at the altar, if you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother or sister and then come offer your gift. This teaching makes sense if we remember something that we learned in the Beatitudes just right before this. Jesus is saying, keep your focus on heaven. If you're mourning, this is a response. You are blessed, but don't forget, heaven's coming. If you're poor in spirit, don't forget, heaven's coming. And here, it's almost like Jesus is reminding us one more time, if you have murder in your heart, if you're angry, what's the antidote? Well, one piece of it is don't forget that heaven is coming. Have an eternal perspective. Can you pick your eyes up from beyond the reality, from beyond the anger, from beyond the situation that's right in front of you, and can you begin to think about higher things, bigger things? And the big theme that you're going to see run through Jesus' commands is that God, for Jesus, as he looks at God, he's going, God has always been about the heart. You heard the command, do not murder, and you just thought, I'm not supposed to kill people. And Jesus is going, no, let me reinterpret what the Old Testament was actually getting at. It's inside you. I care about what you think. I care about what you feel. So if you want to follow me, if I'm going to be a rabbi, your internal dialogue, your emotions, your psychology, that matters to me. It's not just that you do the right things and have the right doctrines. It's, it's how you experience them and live them out in the world. Jesus is saying, don't even think about it. Anger, frustration, murder, be careful. I think, put it a different way, murder is a mindset. It's not just an activity. The Stoics, I, I stumbled on this this week and thought it was so cool. The Stoics used to call it, their, their title for anger was brevum insanium, or brief insanity. When you are angry, you're actually insane just for a quick moment, which I think is really helpful because as we pull this command apart, some different things start to come to the surface. 
The word that Jesus uses here for anger is not momentary anger. That's actually not what he's speaking about, the brief insanity. He's not so much caring about the brief insanity, but the word choice that he uses here really is the idea of being angry or carrying that anger or remaining angry, probably nicely put, uh, nursing a grudge. That's what Jesus is saying. You may not do that. If you want to understand the Old Testament command, do not murder, don't carry grudges. Don't carry anger around with you. Resenting may be another way of putting this. Okay, just to pause, if you've heard this sermon before, Jesus is saying you may not carry resentment. What? Right away, I'm like, this is a hard, this is a hard teaching. What are you getting at here? Now, Jesus is not forbidding one to get angry. I think there are things out there, injustice, sin in the world, things that are broken. There are places where there is justified anger. But Jesus is confronting our more frequent sin of irritable, irascible, temperamental anger. The decision to be angry. The decision to stay angry. It's at exactly at the birth of anger that Jesus' command kicks in. What will you do with it? Will you prolong it or will you master it? Will you cave into it or will you creatively use it? Will you confront the other person first or confront your own sinful disposition first? Jesus obviously calls for self-mastery. So every time you decide to let your anger smolder on or inside you, you're becoming a little less human. You're deciding to belittle yourself. Now, with each one of these, um, five of the eight commands that he talks about, he'll give these little examples. And this, <laughs> they're so funny. The first one is this. He says, um, if somebody, if, you, if you're offering a gift at the altar and you remember your brother or sister has something against you, leave it there. To us, that kind of an example is like, okay, cool, that makes total sense. But you have to remember how it worked for these folks. Jesus is preaching in the region of Galilee. It's about a three days walk from Jerusalem where the altar would be. So he's three days away. And the way that an offering would work is that you'd go in and you would buy a live animal, maybe a pigeon or a dove or a goat or a sheep. And so what the picture that Jesus is painting is if you've got this live animal that's moving all over the place and you're making your way up to the altar that's three days away from your home where your brother and sister probably is, and you get up there and realize, oh, we have beef. You're supposed to leave the animal there on the altar, walk three days back home, apologize, make it right, and then come back. The animal's gone, y'all. Like Jesus, Jesus is creating a situation here where people are like, is he serious? Like, it's, it's not meant to be taken literally, but it is meant to be taken seriously. You're saying, you know what matters more to God? He says this all throughout the Old Testament. You can have all the songs, you can have all the sacrifices. That's not what matters most. What matters most is your heart. What's on the inside? What are you experiencing? Leave the stinking animal. Go make things right with people. It's phenomenal. And the difference is similar with anger as it is with lust, which is what we're going to look at next. They happen, but the, in these cases, it's the continuing of them happening or the sustaining of them happening that Jesus is challenging. So we'll jump now to Matthew chapter 5, verse 27. He says this, You've heard it said, You shall not commit adultery. 
But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. What? (laughs) If you're in the original audience, hearing it for the first time, or if this is the first time you've heard this, there should be something in you where you're going, what on earth is he talking about? Like, I'm supposed to be able to control that part of me. No lust. Right, Jesus. Like, this, this guy's asking for something that seems really hard. Maybe it's just me. I think it sounds really hard. And again, with the attitudes in our purview, Jesus wants us looking beyond the action. He wants us looking beyond the present reality. He's going, I want you to think with a perspective of heaven. What's the eternal bent on this like? Because I care always about your heart. Old Testament and now, this is always what God has been after. If you want to understand what he meant a couple thousand years ago about do not commit adultery, this is what God meant. He's always meant this. Guard adultery in your heart by any time you're experiencing lust, you stop it. (sighs) Wow. And again, we have a very similar thing we have with the command of murder or with anger. He's not saying never experience lust. Never experience temptation. It's the carrying on of it that becomes the problem. For it's not just a look at a person that's condemned. It's sustained, willful looking, what we in English call staring. And if I can pause for a moment and just call a spade a spade, pornography in our country is like a cart on the loose. And the ways that this is tearing apart marriages is horrendous. The way that this lives and breathes in the shadows is terrible. And having spent a lot of time working with teenage dudes, the average age of exposure is about 11 years old to pornography in our culture today. This, this sustained look, Jesus is saying, oh, you just, you have to understand, like, there's an adultery that happens in that place. And it made the list of the top 10 things not to do. Guard your heart. Guard your eyes. Do not stare. There is beauty in the world. God intended it to be that way. And when you see beautiful things, call them beautiful. But when you start to stare and your eyes start to linger, you are dancing on dangerous ground. Take it seriously. And then again, he gives this exaggerated example of what to do. Cut off your hand. Poke out your eye. Again, I think with all of the context, all these examples that he gives, it's kind of like leaving this live animal and coming back in six days type of thing. He's not being literal, but he's being serious. Take it seriously. Stop lust where it begins. When your look becomes a stare, you're already in trouble. What's going on in your heart? Deal with that. And that brings us to our last example. No retaliation is this part that he'll get into. And this, this is the stuff where I just smile and shake my head. Because these first two is like, that's hard. <laughs> this last one I go, that's hard. That's really beautiful too. Check this out. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38. You've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. 
Now, this is actually something that's not written down in the Old Testament a whole lot, but as they found the Dead Sea Scrolls and as they've learned much more about the culture that Jesus was speaking to, this is actually a terribly common phrase. And the whole idea was that God was protecting his people against escalating revenge. That if you killed my brother, I will come back and I will kill your whole family. And you come back and you wipe out my whole tribe and then it just escalates. And this law, this whole idea was meant to go, we will not escalate. We will repay for like things, justice. You've heard it said eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist an evildoer. But if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other also. And if anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also a second mile. Give to everyone who begs from you and do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. Okay, again, (laughs) there's a couple things. We're not going to get into these. Just the command, I mean, again, some of you need just this sentence today. Give to everyone who begs from you. Do not refuse anyone who wants to borrow from you. It's in the Sermon on the Mount. Wow, how do you apply that? That's what Jesus said to do. That's, That's wild, Jesus. But, again, this eye for an eye. We don't want it spiraling out of control, but again with the Beatitudes in full swing, Jesus is going, look, you've heard it said this way, but I want to invite you to see with the perspective of heaven that evil's reality isn't the highest reality. Heaven is. How do you bring heaven down? God has always been about your heart. How does your heart engage evil? Don't resist. Don't let evil just sit there, but don't create more of it. Do something when evil comes your way. And then he's going to paint these pictures of these little steps, these examples, that he says, this is how this can look. So this first one, if somebody strikes you on your right cheek, turn the other also. Some of you may know this already, but in, in this culture, you would use your right hand for everything, even if you were left-handed, because your left hand was used for other things. In this culture, it was toilety things. So you didn't, you didn't shake hands, you didn't, you didn't do stuff with your left hand. You did everything with your right hand. So, if you can imagine this, right now I want you to locate your right cheek. You got which one is your right cheek? If I'm going to hit you, <laughs> this is... Why am I using myself? Gosh, that's terrible. If I'm going to hit you with my right hand on your right cheek, I have to slap you or hit you like this. In this culture, this kind of a hit was a degrading type of a hit. That's how you would hit a slave. That's how you would hit somebody who is less than you. You did not hit an equal this way. So Jesus gives this really compelling example. If somebody strikes you as you're less than them, Turn to them your other cheek and let them strike that one as well. It's almost as if saying, hit me like a human being. Let me expose the injustice that you just did. Let me expose the thinking problem that you have. And I want to give you a second chance to understand and get it right this time. Hit me like a human being. Wow. He gives this next example. If somebody is suing you and they want not only your cloak but your shirt. In this culture, if you can imagine this, you you would have like an undergarment, kind of like a shirt. It would probably be a long one. And then you'd have a cloak that would go on over that. And so the, the example that he's giving is really somebody who's more powerful, who has more resources than you, takes you to court and they say, I want your cloak. 
You take off the outer cloak, all you've got left is a t-shirt. He's saying, take that off and give that to them as well. And if you can imagine the story that Jesus is painting here, he's saying something unjust is happening yet again. Expose the injustice for what it is. Learn to see on a higher level. Evil's reality is not the highest reality. Heaven's is. So you're standing there naked, looking at somebody who has made you this way, saying, are you sure this is what you want? You're forcing them to see the injustice the, the gaps in their thinking that they have. And then this last one's fantastic. He says, if somebody asks you to carry your pack one mile, in this Roman Empire culture, it was, there was laws that would protect Roman soldiers. And one of the things that those gave you the right to do as a Roman soldier was you could grab anyone you wanted off the street and you could say, carry my backpack for me. It's a 66-pound backpack that the average Roman soldier would be carrying. They just want to carry it everywhere. So if there were civilians walking around, carry my pack, and you could not refuse them under pain of death. Now, the other thing that the Roman Empire was thoughtful about is we just don't want people like consigned to carry backpacks for forever. People have jobs. We're interrupting that. So you can only ask somebody to carry your backpack one mile. That's the limit. You may not care. They can't carry it further. You can't ask that of them or you'll get in trouble, Roman soldier. And Jesus gives this example. If somebody asks you to carry your pack, imagine how inconvenient Imagine the oppression that you just feel as, as a citizen when some soldier comes walking by and says, stop everything you're doing. Stop your job. Stop nursing your baby. Carry this backpack one mile. You have to stop. So you put it on, and you're coming up on that first mile marker, and they say, give me my pack back. And you say, no, I'm going another mile. And all of a sudden, the soldier is confronted with the reality, I've done something oppressive and evil here. And, and now the person carrying the backpack, I, I hope that this doesn't come across as passive aggressiveness. I don't think that's Jesus' point whatsoever. But I think the point that Jesus is saying is when you encounter evil, expose it for what it is in the moment. Be creative about how you do this. Because now a Roman soldier is going, shoot, I'm in trouble. If you're gonna keep carrying my backpack, I'm gonna get in trouble. Why did I even ask you to do this in the first place? And I think you have a smiling Jesus going, that's the point. This was evil, you should stop. Fantastic. So the point when you're encountering evil is to get creative. As a side note, I think Jesus is speaking to a people who are often marginalized and oppressed in their society. And these are suggestions about how to deal with people in power. But for many, many of us, not all of us at Discovery, we are the people in power. And we carry a lot of privilege. And it may be hard for us to consider what this means, how to apply this. However, ask anybody experiencing poverty or racism or from the LGBTQ community or any kind of culture or community where there is exclusion that's felt on the daily and they'll likely be able to highlight for you places in our culture where oppression and injustice are happening all the time. Um, I have to share this story. This, this just hit me in 2007. Um, in a way that I'll never forget. Uh, you might remember this story, but a gunman entered an Amish schoolhouse where there were kids of all ages, and there were 20 kids that got locked in this house, and there was a showdown with the police. In the end, the gunman ends up shooting five kids, or 10 kids, sorry, he kills five. Most of them are girls between the ages of seven and nine, takes his own life, 
And the thing that got me was the interview with the town elder of this Amish community. And this is like hours after the event. And he's weeping in the interview. I'm listening to this on the radio. But he says, we just want the world to know that our community is actively seeking to forgive this man. And we don't know him. We don't know what's happened in his story. And this is wrong. And we love him. And I, I was just like, what? I've, I've never seen anything like that before. There was an article that was written um, on the 10-year anniversary, and this is one of the things that the person writing the article said. I think the most powerful demonstration of the depth of the Amish forgiveness was when members of the Amish community went to the killer's burial service at the cemetery. Several families, Amish families, who had buried their own daughters just the day before were in attendance, and they hugged the widow, and they hugged the other members of the killer's family, and it confronts me with this option that I, I just, I go, that's Jesus. That's what he was getting at. That when the shooting in Uvalde, Texas, a couple weeks ago happens, is there something inside of me that goes, oh, that family, oh, that boy, I need to pray for them. How, how can I be a part of healing in this situation? And, and when Russia and Ukraine is happening, that there's not this anger that boils over towards Russia and towards Putin and all the heinous things that are happening, but there is this, this uncontrollable compassion that comes up. Of, I, I can't not pray for these people. I can't not do something to see the whole situation because the evil in this reality is not the highest reality. Heaven exists over all. What do the healing hands of heaven look like in this evil situation? And I think these Amish people get it. And then he finishes with these crazy words, Matthew 5, 48. Be perfect, therefore, as your father is perfect. And at this point, if I've got my Bible and I'm in the crowd, I just chuck it and walk away. I'm like, what are you talking? I mean, Enneagram one's in the room, you're triggered right now, right? Like, be perfect? Are you kidding me right now? I mean, be perfect like the scribes and Pharisees. He didn't even say that. He didn't go that far before, but even that would have been too much. But be perfect like God, our, Jesus, come on. Don't carry anger or resentment ever, period. That's what God's wanted this whole time. Never carry lust. Come on. Love my enemies like these Amish folks do. Dude. And then be perfect like God. You're kidding. I'm not following this rabbi if this is what he's asking. I just can't do it. If you dig into the language, it's slightly more comforting, but only slightly. This word perfect for the Greek is the language this was initially written in really says be mature or be fully mature like God is fully mature. Jesus is really saying, you want to know what a full human being looks like? It's somebody who lives this way. It's not just somebody who does the right things, but it's somebody whose insides, whose guts, whose heart, whose mind, whose psychology, whose integrated self, it's full, and everything works like that. <sighs> he asked the impossible. He's asking for an entirely different breed of human being, better than scribes, better than the Pharisees, mature like God. I can't do that. There was a Young Life t 
teacher uh, that once, I, I wrote down this statement and I've loved it ever since. If you only believe what you like in the Bible, you really don't believe in the Bible. You believe in yourself. So I think as people who are people of the text, that go, we wanna know what this means and how to apply it. This isn't stuff that you can pick and choose if you're gonna do it or how your version of it's gonna go. You have to be all in on what Jesus says. And remember how this all started. Jesus was talking about the Old Testament and making sure that people knew, I'm not getting rid of what's been going on. I have come to top it off. I'm here to make the whole thing come fully to life. Jesus expects a lot. But here's the best part. He starts out by saying, I've not come to abolish the law and the prophets. I've come to fulfill them. Who's come to fulfill them? Jesus has come to fulfill them. He doesn't say me and then y'all better get in line and be perfect and do it just like I do. He's saying, I will be the one who's going to do this. But I don't want to just do it on my own and not challenge you to live like fully alive human beings. I want you to have the picture. I want you to have the blueprints. I want you to know who you're supposed to be. But you're off the hook from having to be this way. I will fulfill the law and the prophets. I got you. It's like Stacy. If you're going to drop to your knees, if you can't keep going, we'll add it on to my time, and I'm going to keep going. And the whole time he's going, practice your planks. <laughs> he's got it. But it doesn't give you an excuse to go, oh, sweet. If he said that at the beginning of the sermon, let's just skip those few pages because that's hard. No, it's an invitation. He's saying, I want you to know what a human being is supposed to be. I want you to know what community is supposed to look like. I want you to have the ingredients, and I want you to live that way. Be mature. Grow into this. But I've got it. I will fulfill it. Let me bring out the band. Just to drive this point as best I can, this is the gospel. It's so good that Jesus would look at me, and he would look at you, and he would say, oh, kiddo. You're not going to make it. This plank is going to go for a few more minutes, and you're dropping to the ground. So stop. You don't have to be perfect. I will become your perfection. I will finish this for you. And in the process of doing so, learn from me. Again, I think I marvel at the people who were reading this because they knew how the story ended. This book was published years after Jesus' death. And as they're watching Jesus say things like, love your enemies, creatively learn how to expose injustice, that they're going, how far was he willing to go? And the cross is right there. They know how his story ends. And again, it's just this place where they go, this rabbi, he wasn't messing around. And what he taught us, what he invited us to, if the world worked that way, it would be like as if heaven had come down. If you're in a spot in life where you're going, I've got good things going. I got water in my cup. It's not full, but it's there. 
know that I think in this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is freely walking by you, saying, do you want me to top that off for you? You actually aren't going to make it if that's all that you've got. But if you let me top it off, I'll fulfill you. I love this rabbi. We're going to stand and just get some time to sing. But I think the invitation to you is this. What does growing up to be mature look like? Will you look like your dad? Will you step into the family business? Because this is what a fully alive human is seeking to be. Let's stand and sing.